But I want to say tonight that I am literally uh, on this front row right here is my closest friends in the world. Whether it's Philip Cameron, how many of you love the missionary to Moldova? There is no one like him. For many, many, many years, he and my father have been best friends and he has become a gift to me and to Karen. In fact, my daughter, uh, the first person that ever sewed into me going to China to pick my daughter up was that man sitting right there. And uh, said, I'll write the first check. And then to be here with Mark and Ann Spitzberger, Dr. Mark, you just wait for tomorrow. I'm not worried about soccer games tomorrow. I'm not worried about baseball games. I'm not worried about any of that stuff. Because when you get here in the morning at 930, you need to come ready to be filled up. And I, we, I was sitting there during worship a moment ago, and the Lord said, do not put a lid on me tomorrow. Let the, just let the Holy Spirit pour it out. And then to be with someone who, uh, in fact, Mark serves on my board. And Mark and Ann, would you stand? Uh, you are gifts from God to Karen and I. Would you make them welcome? Two of the purest people we've ever met in our life. I can't even go any deeper because it's just too wide. The direction I would go with what's on them. And you'll see it tomorrow on what they are doing in San Diego and seeing the outpouring of God, but really all over the world. And then to be with Pastor Jeremiah and Lisa. The minute I met this man, I knew we were covenant. Thank you for serving on the board of this ministry. You know what this ministry is about. You know the integrity and the purity of it. But what has happened here with this building? I, I I, uh, last summer, the Lord said, land is coming. New building is coming. But then even when we're worshiping, uh, the Lord said he's going to make you a mega church pastor over Holy Ghost churches. Not, not, not seeker churches, not dead churches, but Holy Ghost churches all over America. And you're an apostle that the Lord has raised up. And I saw it. I saw it. And when I say I saw it, I'm telling you I did because I say you saw something and but you did not uh, and, and put the name of the Lord beside it. That's witchcraft. So you must understand. I believe with all my heart that what's going to happen over the next 48 hours here in this house is going to shift this county in this region. So you need to understand we are not here by chance. In fact, I got a phone call this morning and it was from your past. And he didn't have nothing new to say. So let's move forward. Are you with me so far? Give my God a shout. Now, if I remember correctly, last time I was here, what I loved about this house is that I couldn't get you to quit shouting. But I must warn you about tonight's message because contents is very harmful to your flesh. And let me say... Let me say to those that sowed into this ministry or decided to partner with the vision of Raise the Remnant uh, to touch the nation, we will pray for you every single morning. Next time I'm here, I'll know you by name because now uh, every morning we pray. And uh, for those that sowed into this vision, I promise you integrity and I promise you miracles will follow. But I must preach tonight and I, I, I feel very, very stirred because... When you're born, for most of us, we were dedicated at the altar. We got married at the altar. I don't want to preach about those things. I want to preach about the in between the altars. You'll be buried at the altar, most likely. You will put a casket up here. But what I loved when I looked at this new building and I looked across the front is the altars that you took time to build. Shocked me. 
threw me off my game. Because revival is when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented that he showed up. And what you have to understand is my personal goal is to be a mobile upper room. And Karen and I have found out lately over and over on planes that people can't run. And so every plane we've been on lately, whether it was going to be on Daystar or all these other different places, and let me say something, if you don't mind if I interrupt for a second. Where's my cousin Chris at? Where's Chris Irvin? Chris, where are you at? Are, are you still here? Uh, uh, where are you at? Chris, would you stand up, Pastor Chris? This is my second cousin. We got in a lot of trouble together, and I saw him before service, and make him welcome. Would you do that? And um, He's from my mom's side of the family, so... That's all I got to say. But I can't wait to show you a video of Karen preaching tomorrow night. In Colosseums, which was prophesied. And on January 1st, I turned to her and I said, the Lord said, this is your year. And her new book, Dehydrated, is Sweeping America. But grab your Bibles, if you would, and open to Luke chapter 15. Luke is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Because it's the lost chapter. Now you do understand that Jesus came up with lost long before ABC. And there was a lost coin and the lost sheep and then there was the lost son. Now follow me for a second and I'm going to go ahead and give you some instruction for those of you that have not been in service with me. And that is that the altar call is beginning. I tell my team all the time, I say, guys, uh, the next altar begins when the last one ends. So tonight when I walk out of here and we go and we go rest for tomorrow morning, I, I, we're already building towards the next altar call. When you live a life that is a perpetual altar call, it changes what you watch on TV. It changes what you say when you're driving, even in Atlanta. Amen. Because I've got some great Christian cuss words. <laughs> On I-75 today, I screamed, sanctification. Amen. <laughs> it's a good cuss word. <laughs> but see, I've learned you can only preach where you've survived. I don't want to hear theory, show me the scars. Because what you've been through is a great indication of who you're called to. And when I get to heaven, I want to get there with nothing left to do. And I have learned that what we often call tombstone, God calls mile markers. The place we should have died is really the place we learn to dance the greatest. And so as I move into this word tonight, we're going to go into Luke 15. And the reason why I love Luke 15, because it's the lost chapter, because it proves that people don't get lost by chance, that, that you, it, the lost coin represents someone that is mishandled. The lost sheep represents, and it's the anatomy of lostness, understanding the lostness of people. The lost sheep got lost because it got big and wandered off and the lost son got lost because it made he made bad decisions and many of you know that the Lord spoke to me on December the 18th and 19th and downloaded me to me sitting on this old bench from the great awakening and the Lord woke me up four days in a row and he's been doing that to me because Matthew chapter 6 says he'll give you the keys to the kingdom that means power and authority and last summer it began, he said, he gave me a vision of, of Jesus standing with a belt of all these keys and all these doors, different sized doors. And he said, if you'll ask me for the keys, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. So about every 
six weeks, he gives me another key. So he gave me one about the entrepreneurial anointing, about priests and kings rising up. I may share it tomorrow. He gave me one about the power of bragging on God. He gave me another one about breaking a fence, getting the dummy off your back. And then he began to speak to me and he said, Pat, I want you to write a message called The Altered. And you must understand the word that I'm about to share with you uh, will be considered by many as old school. Out of touch, emotional platitudes that are best kept under wraps for fear of endangering the comfort of the compromise and thus reduce the finances of well-funded church buildings that have an amazing facade, but they're much like Hollywood sets. You walk through the door and there's no depth. In fact, many would say this word is out of touch, that you can't preach about this kind of stuff anymore, that, that you're a dinosaur of the ministry already at 46 years old. That's old cloth. But I would tell them I've seen the miracles. I've seen Makaira who walked up to me last Saturday night and she grabbed Karen and I and she said, while you were preaching, I have mutilated my body all over and while you were preaching, I don't know if you have a picture of Makaira, but, but uh, there, there she is. She just, that was last week. She, she came up to us. She said, I mutilated my body with cutting and, and all of a sudden in the middle of your message, uh, my legs were cut, my stomachs was cut. I ran into the bathroom and began to pull down my clothes and pull my clothes up and all my scars were gone. this think what I'm about to preach is out of touch I want you to meet Lauren for a second who came to I am remnant in Tampa and while I was preaching I said be careful your scars will disappear because uh, when father enters in he not only can heal the inside but he can transform the outside and a scar means you're only 80% healed so all of a sudden Lauren comes running up to me this beautiful girl and I think she's going to come to our school of ministry but but all of a sudden she runs up to me after I get done preaching and said can I talk to you can I talk to you and I said sure sweetheart what is it and she said says while you were preaching my mother left us a year and a half ago and I began to cut myself and she it's just me and my dad and my brother but but I, I cut myself constantly but while you were preaching you mentioned that scars disappear and I looked down and her father was standing there weeping her brother was weeping and all my cuts are gone all my see she wore these kind of like see-through things that over her arms so you know glove things so you couldn't see the cuts and she said and I was radically healed but that's not the end of the story she went home and called mama who lived eight and a half hours away and said mom tonight this guy was there and you know about me cutting since you left us and she said all my scars disappeared mama drove home the next day because this is the year of household salvation mama mama drove home the next day came to the service as service was starting came to the altar radically safe and god healed the marriage and one more i serve a big old god But I have learned to be considered a dinosaur of ministry because you still believe in altar and gifts of the spirit and, and awakening is actually a compliment because remember when dinosaurs die, they leave oil. And it runs the cars of the next generation. Are you still with me? But the Bible says in Luke 15, and now hurry. Again, I'm preaching about the altar. It's a brand new message, so forgive me. I'm stuck to my notes, and I'm a notes guy. But, but the Bible says in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, so he got up and he went to his dad. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed his boy. It's 
when we can no longer stomach the stench of compromise that we arise and run back to dad. Now follow me. Because I am desperate for Joel 2.28. I'm desperate to see him pour his spirit out in the last days. I want to go to heaven if he's not going to do it. But the remnant is the one who simply says yes to the cross and no to the applause. Yes to the altar, no to arrogance. Yes to covenant, no to worldly concepts. So I must preach about the altar for just a few minutes. In fact, recently I was preaching at a church where Pastor Steve Hill pastored before he died in Dallas. And as I walked through the green room to go preach there at Heartland Church in Dallas, a precious friend of mine that was the armor bearer of Steve Hill, the great evangelist who's now worshiping in heaven, he said, I need to show you something. And he took me around the corner and he said, I built you an altar. Because you're a man that loves the altar. But here's what you must understand. Tie me to the altar. I'm reminded of several months ago, my dear friend, Dr. Mark Spitzberger, walked up to me. I believe it was after our board meeting. And he said, Pat, God wants to tie you to the altar. And it messed with me. I didn't understand it completely. So then I went to Psalms chapter 1 verse 18. Now understand, I'm going to come back to the prodigal at the end. But Psalms chapter 1 verse 18, the New King James Version says, God is the Lord and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Didn't understand that I had to go deeper. God is the Lord. He's given us his light. Bind me to the altar and then I began to go deeper okay that's Old Testament so let's jump over to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 for, for the Christ love compels it constrains me what does it mean to constrain something it means to take an oversized pillow and put it in a smaller box the pillow takes the shape of the box in other words God's love is what reaches down it constrains us because we are convinced that once that one died for all and therefore all died. And so the Lord began to deal with me a week and a half ago. And he said, I want you to write about the altar. But Pat, you need to understand. It's not till I begin to tie you. Until I begin to pull you back into the secret place. Until I begin to wrap you around the place of death. See, the altar is the raised platform made of wood, stone, or steel. In which something's brought forth to die upon. We must have a dying moment. But now I'm going somewhere. So the love of God constrains me. It consumes me. It ties because the remnant are those who will no longer squander the daylight with things that do not matter, but live waiting for night to fall when men have fear in their hearts. That is when their light from God shines ever so bright as they climb upon the altar. Give my God a praise. See, I have never known anybody to see God and live. It's when all of a sudden everything starts changing. When you crawl into his presence, you're just reminded. And some of you will think this is crazy, but I think you've learned long, been around me enough now that you know I don't care. Because I know I'll recognize him when I get to heaven. Because I've seen him. Yeah. 
Reminded of about three years ago. I wrote about this in the new book, Unqualified, about three years ago. I was in a hotel room, and, and, and periodically, almost every night, sometimes I forget, but almost every night I say, before I go to sleep, I say, Jesus, I want to have dreams about you. And Karen and I have a sleep disorder called Revelation. And I had a dream last week that it was raining. The whole night it was raining, and I was standing in a field like this, and it was raining. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my beautiful daughter, Abigail, my gift from China, came, came running up in the middle of the dream and said, Daddy, shouldn't we take this to China? And I woke up. And I reminded her that she's never allowed to date, that I have a 380 Ruger. <laughs> and several others. But I'm reminded of being in the hotel room three years ago when I was on this amazing journey of no longer looking at the mirror of self-depreciation, but looking out the window of the harvest, not living for self anymore. And, and, and Father had begun this work inside of me, and, and all of a sudden... All of a sudden, I start to go to sleep. And as I start to go to sleep, I said, Lord, I want to see you. I just want to see you tonight. Would you visit me, Lord? And about 1.30 in the morning, the glory of God filled a hotel room in Arkansas. And it filled it so strongly that I was so scared. I was so scared. I began to scream in my sleep as I was coming out of my sleep. Don't come any closer or I'll die. My personal goal is to get kicked out of a hotel for praying too loud. Amen. Because <laughs> every drunk in America sleeps next to my room on Saturday night. So... I love getting up at 5.30, putting a glass up to the wall and going, Santana Bacadai! I do that. I'm that guy. But all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord filled the hotel room. And as the hotel room was filled with his glory, I began to scream, if you come any closer, I'll die. I'm going to die. Stop. Don't come any closer. And I could see his foot in his hand. And all he said to me was, Pat, if you'll give me everything, I'll give you everything. If you'll tell a generation to give me everything, I'll give them everything. And I woke up completely. And I got up and I began to read John chapter 7. Ask, seek, and knock, which is a perpetual verb. It means never stop asking, never stop seeking, never stop knocking. I began to dance before the Lord for about four hours. See, you have to know where I'm going because I am going somewhere. Because you have to realize so many of us want resurrection without death. But Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And if we're ever going to get to that death point, we've got to do the Romans 10.13. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What are you talking about, Pat? Tie me to the altar, God. I want to be the one that is laying in your presence. I want to be the one that lives between the altar. I want to be the one that will cry out first. I want to be the one that, am I, am I preaching to myself tonight? I know. You say, well, this is remnant. Absolutely. You will never become remnant until you learn the power of laying flesh on the altar and not just need and over the next few minutes the spirit of conviction is going to hit the room and I want to tell you the altar's open so if at any given point the spirit because when humanity meets divinity that's an altar call at any given point the spirit of the Lord overwhelms you I want to warn you that your first five steps you're going to run into him just warning you 
My wife preached last Saturday night at our national conference and the Holy Ghost flowed. She preached a message called, This is your now. And I was the first one and I was supposed to be helping her with the altar. And I'm on my face wailing and she looked down and she said, I thought, he's worthless. I said, you graduated. You got this. But see, what you have to understand is how do you get tied to the altar? We must get frustrated again. Because frustration and agitation are the mother of intercession. I'm going to say it again. Frustration and agitation are the mother of true intercession. See, I've been very, very frustrated for a little over uh, my life. <laughs> Have you ever been frustrated? You can't really explain it. Yes, I get frustrated for this generation. I preach to two million young people across the world. And does it drive me crazy that we're losing the battle that in the last 10 years suicide has doubled? Not just doubled, but it's been amongst teenage girls and, and also between five and six-year-olds. Have you ever been frustrated? You can't explain it. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I, I'm learning the, the more you tell the truth, the smaller your circle is going to get. I'm learning that we're living at a time that truth is a new hate speech and, and the enemy of truth is, is silence. And we're living at a time where people are preaching a false grace as if it's some get out of jail free card and I can go do whatever I want instead of understanding Titus chapter two, that grace empowers me to live a godly life. I'm, I'm very frustrated by the invasion of secular Christianity. Secular means void of God. In fact, we have a beautiful bride. She just doesn't have a brain we have a headless bride great body no brains because Christ is the head I'm frustrated that we have learned how to remove the Holy Spirit from the church and have church without him and when you take one third from a hundred it leaves 66.6 and the spirit of the antichrist which Paul said was already here is the spirit of the anti-anointing so when you water the blood down you give the Holy Spirit a pink slip and so we've learned to do church that if God never showed up it would be okay so the fullest, the church, the most full the church will ever be will be the day after the rapture. And I just think that God's going to come back on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. And the church will find out at 11. So you have to understand. If this is offensive, there's a long line, trust me. Trust me. And we're living in a time of celebrity Christianity once again where we're more concerned about getting followers on social media than followers back to the cross. And you have to understand there's no celebrities that God uses. The only red carpet in the Bible is where the blood of the martyrs was spilled. The only roped off area is where they hung them. And the only true celebrities that Jesus said, hey, let them do the rope line was the children. And yet in America, we don't even preach about that anymore because abortion has been relegated to a voting block. But you have to understand, Jesus said, I'm coming back with a feather, not a sword. Or excuse me, with a sword and not a feather. He said, either you're for me or you're against me. He said, the kingdom of heaven is being taken by force. And it's the violent who lay hold of it. Why are you so intense, Pat? Because I'm ticked off. I'm ticked off that when I walked into a, a, a gas station a couple days ago after my wife spoke at a minister's conference on Tuesday. And she said, stay close by. I don't know who's going to come in the bathroom. I'm being serious. That happened. Karen had just ministered about 400 pastors' wives on Tuesday this week. And she said, just stay by the bathroom till I'm done. 
And we're living in a time where the spirit of this age is to make sin seem normal and righteousness strange. And those of us that still believe in holiness and purity and, and power and authority, we're, we're going to miss it. But Matthew 22, verse 14, or we're, they're going to miss it. This generation is going to miss it if we don't start standing up for this. Because not to open your mouth is, is basically to say that the devil's bigger. And we're so worried about how we're going to get attacked on Facebook and all the other stuff. I'm so sick of Facebook dividing churches. Every nag and every gossip in the body of Christ suddenly has full access to tell the world their issues. Forgive me. I didn't mean to go off on that. I was ranting. But culture is winning, but the remnant will not bow to culture, but rather culture is recreated by their passion for Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're truly anointed, if you're truly going to be the remnant, and the remnant means rag, it's what's left uh, left over according to the Hebrew, after everything else has died away or been destroyed. It's those that will stand while no no one else will stand. The dictionary word remnant means rag. That's why we carry the rags. That's why my team, many times, and they'll probably do it tonight or, or tomorrow, will pass out rags. Because if we ever sewed these rags together, we could blanket a generation with love and power. I wish you'd get a hold of this. Somebody say, the altered. He told me to preach on the altar. He said, tell him who I am. But frustration has always been the key to take me to my next level. Because frustration and agitation are the mother of all true intercession. It's when something's not right. You begin to get stirred. I'm going somewhere. You better follow me for a second. Because, because my frustration is not because of money or platform or plundance or popularity. I don't give a rip about that stuff anymore. And so you have to realize, no, no, no. It's because I feel the cry of John the Baptist. Of, of Mark 1 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the paths for him. Is it okay if I preach this tonight for a few minutes? I'm reminded of last week when I was writing this message, I was praying in my upper room at my house where I pray, where I cry out to God, where I write all my books and all of a sudden my phone rings and I look down and it's Rodney Howard Brown and Rodney Howard Brown has been a part of many of the great revivals throughout history. He's a very pure man and I love him deeply and so does Pastor Mark and, and all of a sudden he calls me and as, as Rodney calls me, he just begins to speak and I start taking notes when fathers call. Are you with me? I'm just like just keep, if, they, if I get quiet it's because I'm writing and because and, and paper doesn't forget. And it takes a little paper to start a fire. Okay, those goofy cliches. Now watch. But he said this. I said, Rodney, he's just talking. He said, we must introduce them to God and arrange the meeting. Those that are faithful to the purity of God, the doctrine and the work of the Holy Spirit. And if they are desperate, they shall experience the move of God like no one has ever seen. See, you must follow me for a second. I have been called to lead a movement across America and I don't know how it's going to happen. I have no idea. In fact, I I do believe that God could have found someone way more qualified. In fact, I wrote a book called Unqualified and, 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 and yet it was out jogging on a street on May the 26th. 2012 I was getting ready to speak at this massive graduation of about 3,000 graduates and so I went for a run out on the streets of Dallas well I don't really run as much as I loiter amen and back then my belly looked like a bomb and if I pray in the spirit it sounds Islamic so I scared everybody and and so all of a sudden I'm out I'm out 
I'm out on the streets of Dallas and I'm standing there at a, at a, at a crossroads about to run across. My son was a youth pastor there uh, at, at that point in Dallas. And now he's out in California as a youth pastor. And, and so I'm standing there and I'm just doing my thing. I got my earbuds in and all of a sudden I'm waiting and the spirit of the Lord says, Pat, I'm going to awaken a remnant in America. And I said, Lord, what is that? Now, obviously, I know what the word remnant means because I laid carpet through high school and college. I went to college with no knees in my jeans. The kicker destroyed my knees. And remnant are the pieces of carpet that don't match. They don't fit in. They get thrown away. And the Lord says, I'm going to awaken a remnant. And he said, I want you to lead this thing. I said, God, I'm really happy in my little circle. And I jogged all the way back to the hotel and the Spirit of the Lord overwhelmed me and I began to weep. And it was Pentecost weekend. And I preached to 40 churches about the remnant on that Sunday two days later and we ended up having several week revival. And I said, Lord, why are you doing this thing? So follow me. What is the remnant movement all about? It's about those that won't bow to culture anymore. It's about those that will stand up and say enough's enough. It's about those that will stand up and say you can give an award to, to a man for being woman of the year. And you can stand up and tell me that anybody can go in bathrooms. And I'm not just hitting those issues because we're living in a time in this generation where we, are, we have learned to see, our sexual, see the Bible through the lens of our sexuality instead of seeing the Bible first and then our sexuality. So you have to understand my gifting is why. I just watched seven ladies that came to a service. Seven lesbians came to a service to disrupt the service. And in five minutes into the message came running down, weeping and wailing, took their rings off to each other and got completely delivered. One of them is a part of our Raise the Remnant. She's writing a book called God Did Not Mess Up, mess up on Me. And I'm about to do the forward for it. Don't you tell me the anointing does not break the yoke of bondage. Don't you tell me that father doesn't want his kidnapped babies back. Don't you tell Tell me that my God can't restore a generation because I'll look at you and say, you don't know where I came from. Give my God a shout. Tie me to the altar because I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated, God. And I don't want to crawl off before the fire gets there. And God is not using the celebrities. In fact, the true newspaper press coverage of the call should always be an obituary of self and the birth announcement of spirit revival. Jesus started his ministry with one word, repent, and he ended it with another word in Revelation, repent. And so you have to understand, we must be those that burn for souls. It's Jonathan Edwards when he said, oh God, stamp eternity upon my eyeballs. When we have to understand that every minute of every day, a hundred people walk into eternity. You do understand that there's a hundred minutes in a day. That's 1,440 minutes. Uh, and So 144,000 walk into heaven or into hell. My frustration I have learned is is not from the vision. It's not from the weight of the burden I feel. My frustration is from God. It's Romans the 8th chapter. For creation was subjected to frustration. Not by its own choice. But by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope. Somebody say hope, 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 hope. Deferred makes the heart sick. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay. And brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So if you're frustrated right now. Quit blaming your spouse, your kids and your job. It is God. 
he did not call you to be comfortable because sitting Christians hatch hypocrites and if you're not coming up against the devil it's because you flow with him and if there's not a target on your back it's because you made up your mind to lie down somewhere and there's a moment oh I gotta go I gotta hurry we must rebuild the place of encounter drive-in Christianity isn't gonna change anybody and what you have to understand we will continue to justify our sin if we don't become into reconciliation with the cross and you're never going to build an altar till it's flesh you first lay down. So what are you talking about, Pat? I'm talking about we have to rebuild the place of the encounter. I'm speaking of a call to weep again. It's Joel chapter 1. Put on sackcloth, you priests. Mourn and wail. You who minister before the altar, come spend the night in sackcloth. You who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and the drink offerings are withheld from the house of God. What do you mean, Pat? We must restore the place of the encounter. Do you know why I had my team create this? Because in May of 2012, the Lord said, I will awaken a remnant. Now for me, I believe that one of the terms for generation is 40 years. And I understand at 46 years old, at 86 years old, if we don't see an awakening in America, the tombstone of the remnant will simply say a starved generation that decided to run to everything but Jesus. It's Judges chapter two, the grandchildren of Joshua who saw great exploits. The Bible says after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel that's called the extinction of Pentecost that's called the tombstone of a generation and God says I'm looking for moms and dads to rise up in this room that'll learn to pray in the Holy Ghost prophesy over your children walk the Ezra yard and reclaim the land begin to tell your kids we're called to shake the nations this comfortable Sunday morning Christian is not going to work in the coming days because the day is coming where we have done so good at being secret about what we believe we will be forced to meet in secret but we're so close I put the tombstone up to tell you because a starved generation decided to run to everything but Jesus my mandate from God began on May the 26th 2012 I didn't know it would lead to a book, which by the way is number one in Korea. Because they know how to pray. Hell is standing at our front doors and we're too busy watching people dance. Hell is marching into the houses of our homes. Because we've torn down the altars. And where we used to pray is now a video room. And where mama used to go and seek the Lord is now dad's man cave. Why am I preaching like this? Am I, if I'm trying to offend you, I promise I'm not. I promise you. But I've been tied to something bigger than me. And every time I try to get away from it, it pulls me back. Even at 16 years old when I was running, he would pull me back, laying in a field, wasted out of my mind. I saw heaven open up and I saw God weeping and say, come back to me, Pat. Every time I've tried to get away, I've been tied to the altar. I didn't know that he keeps making the leash a little bit shorter. me to the horns of the altar father. I love what Raven Hill said he's one of my favorite writers he said the greatest miracle that God can do today is to take an unholy man uh, and take an unholy man out of an unholy world and make him holy then put him back into that unholy world and keep him holy I grew up in the altar 
In fact, I used to run to the altar because my dad was a pastor. I knew if I went to the altar when I was in trouble. It'd be a little bit easier when I got home. My brother and I, we lived in a parsonage, which is a demonic term, but we used to, we used to run home from the church. We'd get in trouble in church. My dad would get on us, and my dad's a big man. When he spanked you, his belt went around you about 12 times. He'd pull it, and you'd look like Tasmanian devil. And <laughs> sounded like a helicopter. <laughs> and if we got him, you're going to tell him, ain't you? And so all of a sudden, in the middle of the service, when he'd get mad at Scott and I for doing something, he'd just look up from his sermon and go, boys, my God, I prayed for the rapture. I knew I wasn't going, but they were. I wish they'd all been ready. We'd take off running out of that front door of that church down to the house, which was an old church with our parsonage, and we'd go and put on 12 pairs of underwear. That's why I ain't got nothing back here. But that was point B. Point A was, I was the first one to the altar. And if you ever came down and said, son, I'm so glad you're in the altar, but I'm gonna kill you when we get home. That's point B. Point C is he's half blind to hide his glasses. Amen. <laughs> Sorry. But I grew up in the altar and I can't leave the altar. I can't leave the altar. I can't leave the altar. I've had altars in my car. I've had altars in airports and where he said, drop to your knees and give me 10 seconds of praise. I've had altars flying over the ocean with a Muslim man in the back praying on some piece of carpet. And the Lord said, I've made you the head and not the tail. Now you get on your knees and worship the true God. See, I've had altars. I've created altars. I danced in the battlefield of Gettysburg when God broke depression off my life. I've had altars. I stood in the middle of an orphanage in China and held my daughter up and had an altar altars I gave her my name see altars are not about right here altars are about where God is calling you to get altered that place where you say I'm about to encounter you I want to warn you tonight a lot of you aren't going to sleep very well because father son and holy spirit is going to hover over your bed tonight he's going to begin to speak to you about three in the morning he's going to walk through your house and you're going to feel him bump your bed and say spend some time with me he that dwelleth in the secret place the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty he is is my rock and my refuge it is that place of the encounter where things start changing it's psalms 84 verse 3 even the sparrow is found home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young a place near your altar lord almighty and i'll be honest with you and i know i've gone on but i found that i don't fit in to most churches in america anymore Because my problem is I love the altar. But I'd rather be a man without a church than a groom without a bride. And the problem is that this doesn't fit into the narrative being espoused from those who've grown comfortable with plastic faith and self-help self -help talks in a church that no longer desires encounters over engineered experiential gratification and Dare we get so good at preaching and worshiping that we fall under the lie that we don't come to the altar anymore. Remember, even the fallen angels knew what preaching and worship was all about. So you have to understand, I'm so tired of going into churches and they'll bring me in because I'm their once a year Holy Ghost guy, but I'll look at their bulletin from last week and there's, or their order of service, excuse me, and there's no room for the 
I be honest with you? I've been through some things. I don't want a plastic surgery hospital when I need my cancer cut out. And when we are more concerned about the aesthetics rather than the anointing, we become a dwelling place for the wrong angels. And we have allowed the inoculation of a powerful savior that has been reduced to a societal hoax while all the while he is screaming, come to me and find rest. It's James 4, come near to me, come near to me, come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. And I'm reminded of Elisha because the Bible talks about the, or the Elijah anointing. It talks about in Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 that, that, it, that, that the spirit of Elijah would come and heal the hearts of the fathers to the children and children back to the father or else he would curse the land. I love studying Elijah because he was John the Baptist and Elisha was Jesus. He, Elijah meant judgment. Elisha meant salvation. John the Baptist and Jesus. But I'm reminded of when it talks in Romans when Paul was talking about the Elijah spirit and he brought up the thing that took place on Mount Carmel. And it says this in Romans 11 verse 3. Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars. I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me. And what, what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed to the knee of Baal. So too at the present time there's a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Listen to what I'm talking about because I'm getting ready to close. This is my third of seven closings. Now watch. One of my heroes. I have an original picture of him. It was taken in 1880. One of my heroes, William Booth, said way back in the 1880s, he said, the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Hello, America. Again, when I was reading Leonard Ravenhill last week, he said, what we need now is a revival of holiness, a revival of character, a revival of people who are utterly selfless and prepared to lay their lives on the altar. You do understand. You do understand that the altar is the place where what you've been is interrupted by what you can become. You do understand that if you'll take those 15 or 20 steps, there's that moment where he meets you. It's the it was the altar that saved me when my mom tried to commit suicide when she was 12 and they put her away in a mental hospital and all I could do was lay at the altar. It was the altar that saved me at 16 when I had a vision of dying if I didn't change. It's been the altar and just some preaching about the altar and, and the loss of the altar calls has forced the church to try to mo motivate the devil out. Last week, my son called me and he said, Dad, I'm in a war with the public school system there in California where he's at. He said, they have this big gathering and, and, and he's a youth pastor at a, at, a, at a really powerful Holy Ghost church. And he said, the school board called and said that we cannot promote our event this year, even though, Dad, we really try to use wisdom how we do it. He said, what am I going to do? And so we prayed together and then he called me back and he said, I've just decided to release our teenagers to be the missionaries then if they won't let me on the campus to, of, the, of the many, many schools. And he said, you know, Dad, last year when we did this event, we had about 1,100. And then all of a sudden he said, Dad, last night we had over 2,000 and they came running to the altar because it didn't matter what the school said. 
That's their, that's their youth service. He said it didn't matter what the school said. He said they were thousands crying out to God, getting radically set free. See, I serve a God that if the public, the Supreme Court, or the president says I can't worship, says I have to look at him and say, I'm so sorry, but this came with me. The altar came with me. It's a faculty of mine. I belong to this thing right here. I can't walk away from it. I live in a perpetual state of crying out, repentance, all oh, to seek his face. I've learned that if I'll stay tied to the altar and restored in my house no matter what hell comes against my family we're very close to the place of the encounter what am I saying to you church I'm saying restore what's been broken I'm saying build it back up again call your family back to prayer learn how to prophesy over your kids learn how to lay hands on your spouse And to remove the altar is to banish Jesus. See, the foundation of everything that we do is the altar. The altar was, the first altar was at the tree of redemption in Genesis 3.15. What would start at a selfish tree would end up at a sacrificial tree. Noah, after the flood, first thing he did was build an altar. He took the doors off the ark. When you remove what's been protecting you. And then we know that he, the Lord made him a, a gardener, the husband of the area. And we know that his own vines began to grow. And then he got drunk off the fruit of his own work. And ended up cursing his boy. But the first altar after the flood was the door of the ark. We know when Abraham laid Isaac on the altar, he said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and lay him on the altar. We love to lay what we hate on the altar, but there's a moment where you lay what you love. In fact, when he was asked by the servant where he's going, he said, I go worship. It's the first time you find worship in the word of God. Altars. And according to old tradition, Isaac actually looked at his dad and said, tie me tight, father, I don't want to move. And we wonder why he was so blessed. Every well he redug, God blessed We know that all through the Bible, it's about altars. Leviticus 6.13, the fire must be kept burning on the altar continually. See, it must not go out. We know that children of Israel continually built altars in the wilderness. We know that Jacob wrestled with God and, 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 and he named the place Peniel because he said, I saw God and I lived. And, and, and we know that he later went back and built an altar at that place, the place where God changes you. You better keep an altar there. Story after story, we know the psalmist uh, or the prophets would go before the altar, that David would write psalms about the altar, the major prophets, the minor prophets, really, I don't know why we call them that, but uh, wrote of the altar. It was man's continual search for redemption. Amos talked about the famine in the land for the word of the Lord in Amos chapter 8. And then by the time we get to Amos 9, and it says God is standing at the altar judging. Then we get to Amos 9, 11, which was read in the synagogues on the day Israel became a nation in 1948. It speaks of the tabernacle of David being restored and the remnant brought back. The Bible is about man's search for redemption. Job let us know that the altar was not just about the altar. It was about a redeemer. And he said, I know that my redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. Job 19.25. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall say, God. Redeemer means vindicator. Uh, I believe I'm saying it right. Go all. Avenger, purchaser, ransom. But the problem is in the Old Testament, we couldn't get to the altar. 
It was reserved for the Levitical order. And so we couldn't get there. So we had to stand back and let man do it. And, and, and surely God wanted to hang out with us. And the restrictions were unbearable. They'd tie ropes around them to make sure they wouldn't die when they went near the altar. And we needed an answer. We needed a sacrifice worthy to get us to the front of the altar. We needed a savior. Somebody say Jesus. In fact, Jesus can be seen, the ultimate altar, can be seen throughout all of the Old Testament. Sometimes it's in the background. Sometimes it's a shadow in type. In fact, he's the Lamb of God, a Lamb in Genesis that would cover the nakedness of man that would later become a spotless Lamb. We know that he would bruise the head. He would be prophesied that he would bruise the head of the serpent. And why? Because you need to understand a Lamb's blood is the only blood that can inoculate, be inoculated from the bite of the serpent. And that's why it says he'll bruise his head because when a lamb gets angry it stomps its feet you ain't getting this yet once you got the blood of the lamb flowing with you through you the serpent satan himself cannot touch you but you have to realize later he is the spotless lamb and as the lamb grows it would become a male child the blood of the lamb that would be put on the doorpost as the first helmet of salvation keeping the death angel out so you have to understand it was all leading to the altar everything that happened in the old testament was leading to an altar you're not getting this yet it ought to excite you because it would be a perfect lamb's blood that would cover us and become personal finally Isaiah gave us a little insight and he said the lamb is not really a lamb but it's a man Isaiah 53 verse 7 it says he was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his ears is silent so he did not open his mouth and it continued through the Old Testament then we get to the New Testament and we're waiting for the son of righteousness to rise up with healing in his wings and all of a sudden John though the preparer of the way the forerunner of them all would run out and he would suddenly say in John chapter 1 behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the earth then John would begin to decrease as Jesus went to the forefront because now the altar was being built oh you're not getting this yet the altar is not cheap quit treating it so cheaply quit coming up here with your five minute prayers acting like so I'll get my wife off my back the altar cost it's expensive to be effective. If I seem intense, I'm preaching my DNA. I spent years having to entertain. I'm done with it. Hallelujah. And from that moment on, the entire Old Testament planned it out. The New Testament revealed how it would happen. It was Christo-centered in the Old Testament. Everything was pointing to Jesus. He couldn't come as God. So he had to come in a seed planted in a woman from Father. Because if he would have came as God, his face lights up the universe. We would have all disintegrated in this glory. So it had to come as that of a man. The serpent came as an alien, but he came as a child. He would not force us to serve him, then that would make us robots. No, he said, I'm going to give you a choice. Choose you this day. He faced discouragement, pain, suffering, humiliation, weariness, fear, loneliness for me. He humbled himself so that he could be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Hebrews 4 verse 14. Get ready, worship team. And from miracle to miracle, water to wine, healing of leprosy, dead girl raised, two fishes, five loaves, spitting in the eyes of a man, 
Blind men driving out demons, rescuing an adulterous woman, sitting on a well at the noon hour, preaching in the synagogue, overturning the tables, cursing the tree of no fruit. In fact, there's so many things according to John 21, the books in the world couldn't hold it. He became poor that I might become rich according to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. But you just need to understand that's not why he came. All those things, all those things, all those things were not why he came. He didn't come to do all those things. That's just him chilling. Because when it was revealed to him for his time had come, he rebuked anyone that tried to stop him from going to the cross because they wanted to... to crown him and he wanted to be glorified your cross your altar was expensive and there was eight stations that led to your altar I think this altar is so easy it's so simple but First station of pilot condemns him. The second station accepts his cross. I know that you treat the altar like it's just something we should do. Hurry up, Pastor. I'm hungry. And Simon helped carry the cross. Then he speaks to the woman. He said, Don't wait for me, wait for your children. his garments but they could not tear them because you could not tear the high priest's robe that's why Caiaphas tore his own robe to prove he wasn't the high priest then he cared for his mother Second Corinthians 5.21 and I'm done. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He became the secret place. It's Hebrews 10 verse 12. Therefore brothers and sisters since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way open for us through the curtain. In other words Jesus' body became mine. But what many of you don't understand is Hebrew 4 says he became my high priest. And this is the last thing I'll say as I close. I'm, I got to close, but I'm wondering what could happen over the next few minutes. If you go, go ahead and stand with me and don't slip out if you can help it. I, I promise you I'll get up early in the morning. I've got to talk to my wife at 4 a.m. To tell her to go change the world. But what a lot of people don't understand is my favorite altar call in the Bible didn't happen in a church. My favorite altar call 
is the fact that he outran the village. What do you mean, Pat? Jesus tells the story of the lost. He's trying to get it out there. This is why they're lost. They've been mishandled or they've wandered off or, or they just made some really bad decisions. You have to understand. You know the story of the lost son, I'm sure. My favorite altar call in the Bible. If a Jewish son lost his inheritance amongst the Gentiles, he was banished. So the prodigal son goes away. Favorite altar call. That's why I wrote why is God so mad at me. Because I spent an early part of my years thinking God didn't like me. Religion has a way of being a noose of the Holy Spirit. So the prodigal son, Jesus told this story for a reason, goes to a distant land and squanders his inheritance amongst the Gentiles. He ends up in the pig slop. And says, my dad's servants have more to eat than me. Maybe I'll go home and sell myself as a slave. It's the reason why he says that. Because if a Jewish boy wasted his inheritance and embarrassed the family, when he came home, before he could get to the edge of the village, the whole village would run. And they did a ceremony. And I think I'm saying it right. Called the Kazaza. What is that? Before the boy could get home, the entire village would run out to him and they would take a pot of burnt corn and burnt beans and they would crush it on him right in front of him on the ground. And it meant you can come home, but you're a slave to the village. You're not getting this yet. My favorite altar call. And you would forever live in shame. So in Luke 15 verse 17, it says, when the, the son came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my dad I'm sorry. I'm just going to go tell him I'm, I messed up, pops. Keep the lights up for me. So he gets up and goes to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and takes off running. Then in verse 21, the son tries to, and he gets to his son and his son tries to repent and tries to, but he didn't let him talk. You're not getting it. His dad had been standing on the edge of that field for months for one reason to outrun the 
Because when he got to his boy, he said, servants, come here, put clothes on him real quick. Because I don't want them to see how he's been. I want them to see who he is. He's my boy. And the greatest altar call was my dad outran the village for me because I should have been cut off but the cross which is a living breathing entity the altar which is a living breathing entity Jesus became the mercy seat he sat down on the mercy seat of the Old Testament which blood runs over where's my sins under his backside he can no longer see them anymore the angels stand guard on each side as he sits upon the law the blessing and the leadership in the box he became the mercy seat he fulfilled the obligations he became the ultimate propitiation of sin what does that mean he became the ultimate sacrifice and when they nailed him when they they tied him to the altar when they tied him to my altar it's forcing me to come back to a place of being tied to the altar because he outran my accusers he outran everybody that wanted to make me a slave and he said I will break the curses of their rituals and I'll bring you home and we'll kill a fatted calf I'm gonna put new shoes on you I'm gonna put a ring of access give your hands up in the air towards the Lord. He told me, Pastor Jeremiah, to just preach a message called The Altered. I am a part of the altered. He changed me. He rescued So you go ahead and pull your altars out of the church because I don't need it. I am the altar. I have strapped it to my back. And every place, everywhere I go, whether it's Walmart or Target, whether it's Charlotte or Atlanta, church.
because I want to be tied to his glory again. I want all insecurity and fear out of me because I got a nation to win. You go ahead and play your little, I'm from Birmingham, so I can say it, our little southern religious Christianity that looks great on Christmas and Easter and every now and then in between. But I, I, I'm tied to his hope. I'm waiting on you to lift your hands and start crying out to God. Don't clap or anything this time. If you would, I wish somebody would begin to break out into the glory of the Lord and begin to cry out because he's calling forth the remnant that will come and get on their face and worship him again. He's looking for the ones that can crawl before him. Maybe the 10 feet or the 25 feet or the 30 feet in front of you. It looks like a long way, but I promise you the eight stations was a lot more expensive than your pride. The eight stations cost a whole lot more than your eight steps to the bathroom. You want to be remnant? When's the last time, Dad, your kids snuck up on you praying in the Holy Ghost? My son said to me, Dad, in my darkest moments, when he almost wandered for a bit, he said, I could hear you praying in the Spirit. In the cars I was in, I could hear it. I want to be the voice that my son hears, not the echo of his pain. I want to speak to the king in him and not the fool. When I get to heaven, I'm going to outrun everybody to get back to the altar because that short journey from earth to heaven is too long to be separated from the altar. What if we're the place? I'm looking for some men that can walk down here right now that'll be the ones that'll say I'm rebuilding the altar of my family. I'm looking for some men. Come on, men. Come on, men. Take some man to come cry out. There's a man revolution breaking out across America of men that will come and get on their knees and not give a rip what anybody. I'm looking for some women that will outrun their insecurities and fear. I'm looking for some teenagers to come and fall on their face across this room. Right now, the altar is open for business. Church, flood the altar. Let's go. Come down here right now. Come down, come down, come down, come down, come down, come down. All over the room, get out of your chairs. Come all over the room, get out of your chairs. If you're in Teen Challenge and you're still here, come join me. We have the same DNA. My father was in Teen Challenge and led it. So you have to understand, all over this room, I'm looking for moms and dads and teenagers that can come down here and cry out to God and say, I don't give a rip what nobody thinks anymore. I need a miracle. I've been tied to the altar. Come on, all over the room, can you get out of your chairs? And then we're going to pray something oh yes Holy Spirit forgive me soft please for a second I bind every spirit of fear that would keep a person from finding freedom you lying devil that has spoke to their mirror their whole life I command you to release their mind their spirit and their bodies and all over this room with every eye shut I will not beg or manipulate I give one call because I don't believe I have to talk you into the resume that I just gave you
if you've been so desensitized to the glory of the Lord, then you, my friend, will be a product of tribulation. But when this moment hits, you'll have an opportunity. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth and you have a little heart surgery in between. Believe in your heart that he is Lord. You are saved. It doesn't say if you're perfect. It doesn't say if you're clean. It doesn't say if you don't have a past. It says if you call out, believe it with your tongue and, and, it, and a work take place in your heart. Then he becomes Lord of your life.